I don't dream about Gusto being a $100 billion company. You know, I dream about Gusto helping millions of small businesses and having high NPS while we do it um, and helping individuals uh, with the pain points in their life. How we doing out there, folks? This is your host with the most, Kenny Vaughn. I play for Team Breakline, and I am joined once again with my partner in crime. What is up, everybody? It is Sophia. I also play for Team Breakline, and welcome back to the Breakline Arena. And I would love to kick things off by sharing with you guys an amazing review that our dear friend Ace Pat left for yes, us. Five stars. Yes. 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 He said, simply put, if you are looking for inspiring, thought-provoking discussions on how to use your time on this earth from a diverse selection of incredible human beings, look no further. Mm. Mic drop, Ace. Thank you for leaving us that amazing review. Ace, we are sending you all the love, brother. Sending you all the love, Ace. Sending you all the love. Thank you. Thank you. And if you would like to be featured on next week's episode, please feel free to head over to Apple Podcasts rate us review us it really does help us get the good word out about our show so y'all let's get to that show mm-hmm. kenny who are we hearing from today Ooh, so we have the fine fortune of hearing from industry titan i gotta call him a titan because i know he's got a lot of humility he but he's an industry titan mm-hmm. chief executive officer of gusto and co-founder josh reeves well josh reeves and by the way, his LinkedIn for the last almost 10 years, his, his title is Building Gusto for the Long Term. So this guy is humble. He is not out here flaunting that he is a CEO of an absolute rocket ship of a company. But Gusto themselves, they basically take these really complicated impersonal business tasks like HR, like payroll, um, and they make them really fun and really, really easy for small businesses to use. Breakline ourselves, we use Gusto and we absolutely adore them. And Josh Reeves, this conversation, y'all, holy cannoli, I feel so inspired in him as a leader. It's just really encouraging to know that these industry titans are out there with a genuine intent to serve others. And that's exactly what Josh Reeves is doing at Gusto. He is so grounded in his values. He is truly at the service of small businesses that are the backbone of American society. He is humble. He is gracious. I mean, what a role model. Come on now. Come on now. And what I will tell you is what I love about this is you can tell a lot about an organization from the individuals that work there. We have a number of breakliners who are gusties right now. Every single one of them that I've talked to is loving life as a member of Team Gusto. So I think it is absolutely reflective of the leadership and the culture that Josh and his team have been able to co-create over there at Gusto. Um, now, some of y'all may be wondering about this here title with gratitude and patience mm. in Gusto. And uh, one of the most fascinating things that we found in doing our research and preparation for this conversation was that Josh was actually recognized by fortune as one of the 40 under 40, very prestigious list to make it on. Of course he would make the list. Mm -hmm. And you know, the two words that he used to describe his journey as an entrepreneur were impatience and gratitude. And uh, rather than just kind of toot his own horn, he was like, let me use this as an opportunity to highlight 40 of the amazing small businesses that we're working with as a company. They work with hundreds of thousands of small businesses across the globe. He chose to highlight 40 of them in recognition of his recognition. So just once again, what a, a reflection of the type of leader at, at Gusto. So uh, in all seriousness, folks, we thank you once again for taking the time to join us. So I don't know about you, Sophia, but uh, you think we should go ahead and give the listeners what they came here for? Absolutely. We will see you guys on the other side. Welcome, welcome. It's so much fun for us to have Josh Reeves here. Gusto has been one of our longest running partners. Um, Casey and Ronnie and I used to drive up to San Francisco when they were in this like little closet of an office. And it's been amazing to see their growth and their trajectory. We have lots and lots of Breakline alums at the company. Um, And so Josh, I love having you here. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, well, first, thank you so much for the invitation and congrats to all of you for being a part of this incredible community. 
I'm thrilled to spend some time with you all and try to share some helpful advice. You're interviewed all the time. You've been on tons of different podcasts and news programs, and your family comes up often. Your your mom is from Bolivia. Your dad's from a, a town outside of Pittsburgh. They were both teachers, and I'd love for you to just talk about the influence that your parents have had on you, on your decision to start Gusto, and on your leadership style. Happy to. I think family just has profound impact on all of our lives. And uh, it's such an incredible responsibility and, and um, opportunity I see for my wife and I in raising our daughter. We have another child due in August. So we're getting close to uh, growth of a different type happening in our family. But a little bit about my uh, background. My parents, um, you mentioned, are not from the San Francisco Bay Area. So that was where I was raised. Um, not many folks are from out here. Um, both of them are from very far away. My dad's from a small steel town outside of Pittsburgh. His family for many generations had worked in the coal, steel, and brick factories there. And uh, he was the first in his family to go to college, um, came out west you know, many decades ago with uh, purple pants, long hair, and kind of was in a discovery phase, but decided to settle in San Francisco. Um, my mom is from Bolivia, as you mentioned, Bethany. Um, her whole family is uh, still there or in Argentina. And she came to the States when she was 18 to pursue uh, her undergraduate degree, um, really created a journey for herself out of nothing. She came out speaking English, um, learned a new language, um, convinced the university to give her a scholarship, got a job, put herself through school. And so I really uh, think of both of them as, as to me, great examples of entrepreneurship. Uh, entrepreneurship uh, to me is more of a mindset. It's really this idea of, of turning nothing into something and um, changing you know, the world around you. And both of them did that in spades. Uh, both became teachers. My dad was a high school teacher. My mom was an elementary school teacher. And, uh, and I feel grateful today. They're, they're about eight minutes away from me, um, from where I live. And uh, they're very much part of my life. Um, in one of the podcasts I was listening to um, in preparation for this conversation, you mentioned that you and your brother grew up with your family in a 1,200 square foot condo in the Bay Area. What do your parents make of your success and what you've done? Um, it's just been an amazing journey um, for you. And you've now built one of the most famous, most exciting companies in Silicon Valley. What do they think about it? What do they say to you about it? Well, I mean, a couple of things. First off, for any of you that, that know me, um, I'll say whenever I hear anything in the vein of what you just shared, two things. Number one, this is a team effort. So I play one role in it, period. And, and it's 1,400 gusties today that make what we did possible. And two, I feel like we're still very early. I like, I like to use the word progress. We've made good progress on our opportunity and the chance to go help small and medium businesses. But there's still a lot, lot more for us to do, frankly. Um, my parents, I think they feel, I mean, obviously very, very proud. Um, you know, they came here because they wanted to create opportunity for their children. They worked really hard and made tremendous sacrifices so that my brother and I would be able to go, uh, go to college and be able to go pursue our goals and ambition. Um, I think from, uh, I guess from a directly relating to it lens, my mom, I studied electrical engineering. My mom still thinks I'm an engineer. I still get asked to like fix the TV and stuff at home. So yeah, they're pretty grounded. Like <laughs> I wouldn't say there's much. Uh, of like reading about me in the news that like is their focus. Um, it's it's more about like, you know, solving problems and they know that I'm solving some problems on a bigger scale, but frankly, I have as much respect for the problems they're tackling and solving in their local communities as what I'm doing, you know, on a much bigger platform. I also think one thing that's really interesting about your family and your, also your nuclear family, your wife is from Taiwan. You've grown up in this very multicultural household and extended family unit. And I can see echoes of that in, um, in the way that you lead Gusto and how inclusive Gusto is. And even in, there's one obvious example, which is Gusto um, has a no shoes policy in the office. And so you walk into any office and there are like socks there for guests to wear, but everyone puts their shoes on a, you know, on a shelf before walking around the office. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, the fact that you, you had this very worldly context and, um, and you've kind of been able to, to bring that lens to work with you as well. Yeah, so maybe first just to address the, the unique tradition at Gusto, which makes me always smile. Um, first, traditions, and many of you are in our at companies or evaluating which companies to join, whether this is a tech business or not, I think traditions are a big part of a company's culture. Um, and traditions form naturally, they should be authentic. They're not really like centrally planned activities. That tradition specifically started because we were working out of a home when we were 
building the company, three of us as founders, we hired some folks, we moved to that loft office, no one lived in it, but it was still kind of a home environment. And we, you know, we were raised taking our shoes off at home by our parents when we were kids. So yeah, we took our shoes off because obviously we're still in kind of a home environment. And then we started growing and, and Gusty said, hey, can we keep, uh, we call ourselves Gusty's, but um, members of the team asked, can we keep doing this? And so that's what drove that tradition. Um, we'll see if it continues post, you know, return to office um, given COVID uh, and this like big transition we've all gone through. But I think tradition should always be like authentic. It's not like they're the, the right or wrong traditions. They just form organically and, and either resonate or don't. So um, to the heart of your question though, uh, about my background and kind of growing up with uh, I think more, um, at least some diversity in my life. I guess I'll say first off, I, I think it profoundly helped me in the context of relating to other people's experiences. And uh, in my journey of building Gusto over the last nine, 10 years, it's been very, very clear to me that I frankly had many gaps, many holes and grew up in a very sheltered way. So I wouldn't say I was anywhere close to like as worldly or as widely um, able to relate to many perspectives as I can or should have been frankly. And like in Raising River, we're eager to be much, much broader than just thinking purely about you know our own ethnic background. Um, and so, you know, in the context of company building, I think it's a topic that's relevant to life, not just company building. How do we, uh, not just through our own experience, but through relating to other people's experiences, um, understand just the, the true incredible um, diversity of experiences and backgrounds that exist out there. And I'm still on that journey, frankly. Um, but it, it has a profound impact on business in a good way, in my opinion. Uh, it helps us relate to our customers better. It helps us build a better product. It helps us build a better company. But we've just not been anywhere close to perfect on that dimension. And I want to make that clear. Um, I'm still on a journey of improvement uh, there as well. Thank you, Josh. I want to pivot now and I want to get into the story of Gusto and kind of start with a, a phrase that you have coined, which is minimum lovable product. Um, so lots of us are familiar with minimum viable product, get your ugly baby out there and allow your customers to help you um, improve your product or service through their feedback. Josh mm -hmm. twisted this to minimum lovable product. And I'd love for you to talk about what that meant to you, especially in the early days of Gusto. And then would you bring us up to today and talk to us about the scale that you all have reached and, and what you're thinking about in today's terms for the company? Yeah, I'll give credit to my co-founder, Tomer, who coined it, but you're absolutely right. It's been a really core mantra in our approach to company building and for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think any company exists to serve their customer. And in our case, we're helping customers with things like helping them get paid on time or accessing healthcare. And so uh, the viable piece sometimes gets interpreted as it's okay if it breaks sometimes. And in our case, it's just not okay. Our product breaks sometimes. It's really important that it's always working. Um, the lovable is just really, really important because a huge part of our opportunity is to take something complex and painful and make it simple and delightful. And the ingredients have always been there. People like to get paid. It's actually quite delightful to receive money in your bank account, it turns out. Surprise, surprise. It's just that people have made it tricky, complicated, difficult. Taxes are not fun. Um, and they aren't. And that's why we try to take that off of your plate and make your life easier. So um, it's a big part of our, our development process. You want to also not you know, stick yourself in a room and build for years and years. You want to get that feedback loop from the customer quickly. And so that's why Minimum Lovable becomes such a useful reference point. You can actually measure that. You track it. You have different um, ways to evaluate. Is this resonating? And then for our, for our business model, it's critical because a huge part of how we grow is through word of mouth, referrals. Um, it's called organic in like the, the broader kind of go-to-market world. And so uh, if we don't actually have that customer love, if we don't have that strong emotional reaction to, wow, this is amazing, you should use it, um, it actually affects our ability to go grow in the future. Um, so those are some of the reasons why it's worked really well for us. And I think probably for a lot of businesses, maybe if you want to spread that rebranding, minimum lovable versus minimum viable, uh, I think is probably a better way to think about things. And Josh, Gusto, Gusto serves small businesses. And, and this was another point that you made that I wasn't aware of. So you were focusing on businesses with one to 100 employees, and those companies employ a third of the American workforce. It's like an enormous segment of the market. Um, and will you talk to us about, about where you all are today, about the scale that you've reached together as a team? Yeah, so we love serving small business. It's a segment that's been underserved for a long time. It's a big segment, as you just mentioned. Uh, we help over 100,000 companies today, and we'll be announcing some new metrics in a few weeks. But 
Uh, we announced 100,000 a few years ago, so assume it's quite a bit higher at this point. Um, and we uh, are domestically focused to date. We'll have the ability to expand internationally in the future. And from a company size lens, um, really the, the oldest program and activity at Gusto has been helping new employers. So folks, when they start out, hiring their first employee and making that process as simple as possible and making it something that uh, anyone can do without any training or background in building a business. Uh, but we will expand segments over time. We do talk now more about the kind of one to 500 employee segment. That's about half of the workforce in America. But uh, far and away, the majority of our customers will always be very, very small. There's 6 million employers in America, three and a half million are sub five employees, over half. And so again, just a segment that um, does really meaningful work. These are businesses that are more than not labors of love. And it's just an incredible time to go help those businesses. You really needed things like cloud, paperless, mobile, um, APIs, and, and really great uh, modern development practices to actually build products that were usable to this segment. And, uh, and not just us, you know, folks like Square, folks like Shopify, et cetera, have really focused on small business to uh, a really positive impact in my opinion. Um, so I have a little story here. When we founded Breakline about five and a half years ago, we originally used paychecks for payroll and it was me and Ronnie. And I used to just cry and pull my hair out because it was so impossible to use. And, um, and finally paychecks made this enormous mistake. And so out of desperation, I was looking around for a different solution and found Gusto. And as a, as a, our business now is 20 people and we are in 20 different states across the US. Payroll and the tax system is not set up to support small businesses. It's incredibly painful. And Josh, one of the things that you say Gusto is good at is creating simplicity out of this in insane, incredibly complex system. Why was that so important for you guys to be really, really good at simplicity? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, um, and I'll just kind of take us back 10 years when we started the company, we really wanted to tackle a problem that was really clearly a problem. And like, it wasn't just your story anecdote. Like we had our own stories, anecdotes from prior small businesses we had started and run. I had actually also used paychecks previously and, and at that point found it quite frustrating. Um, but also you look at the data, um, add up into it paychecks and ADP and their entire market share combined is less than 50%. You have a huge number of these businesses doing things like payroll by hand manually, and you have lots of fines and penalties and mistakes being made. And so we really just met and talked to lots of small businesses. My two co-founders, Tomer and Eddie, have uh, small businesses in their family. My mother-in-law runs payroll. So we had you know, connection points that way as well. And uh, it, was, it was, I think, just kind of more of an obvious goal. Like if these business owners are wearing 20 different hats, really what should they be spending time on? What do they have to spend time on? And what can we help them spend either more or less time on? And things like taxes and really anything related to government is important, right? If you don't file correctly, a lot of these programs have lots of good impact, um, but a business owner doesn't stand out or get more customer um, or you know, hire better teammates by filling out you know, the form in a blue pen or black pen on a fifth time one day faster, Like, right? It just needs to get done. And so it's just a classic software problem in our opinion. Like you have all these complex rules and requirements, you have over 10,000 different payroll tax requirements across the country, local, state, federal. Um, again, and, and it's, this is how government gets funded, frankly. So there's a lot of importance to these actions being done correctly. Um, but it's not what, again, a business owner should be spending lots of time on. They should be spending time on serving their customer, on hiring great teammates, on building good cultures, on building great businesses. And so um, to me and us, that was part of why we got started in the first place was saying, hey, we call it peace of mind. Let's go take five of those 20 hats off of this business owner's head and be their partner. And our business model is a subscription-based business model. You know, we add value to your life. We solve problems for you. You pay us monthly. And if we do it for 20 years, you'll pay us for 20 years. And if we do more for you and you hire, you know, we price per employee and we have additional things like healthcare, we can help you set up health benefits very smoothly now through Gusto, then you pay us more. And so I love the alignment of incentives there. And a lot of tech businesses, you can have perverse alignment of incentives, especially for ad-based business models. For our business model, it's as simple as if we help them succeed, we succeed. And I think that's something that um, also makes our life quite a bit easier in the context of, of company building. Mm -hmm. I love it. And um, a breakliner, Isabel, had pointed out that 
Augusta's UX is so lovable. And I agree, like you get this great email that's like a celebration of getting paid and it's just a really fun moment. And, um, and it does feel like a partnership. Um, so you have hired lots of people. And as you, you said, you, um, you, you always give credit to your team. You have 1400 teammates around you helping you drive and, and um, make progress toward this vision. And you are really interesting. You have a really interesting perspective on interviewing and hiring and how you evaluate people. And you've talked about um, looking at values, motivation, and skills alignment, where a lot of hiring managers will just look at skills. And can you talk to us about why that sort of expanded aperture is important to you? Yeah, I mean, our focus on people to me is, is really not a choice it just seems very logical maybe to others it seems like a surprising choice but like our ability to accomplish anything we want to go do is tied to the people that choose to join gusto and spend time contributing to that goal so um, my job is ultimately all about people and when we were thinking about uh, building the team starting you know hiring our first our first gusty um you know i guess the alignment thing jumped out because it, it's always a choice on both sides, right? I don't believe companies convince people to join them and candidates convince companies to hire them. Both parties are trying to figure out, can we accomplish something uh, together? And, and then both ultimately make a choice on do we wanna go do that? And so for us, uh, the three pieces you just alluded to, we had jumped out early. Um, the third is what I think everyone kind of really quickly understands skill. Like obviously if there's, you're, you're hiring for an engineering role maybe and it's, you know, whatever way you want to classify that, has this person, can they do engineering work, right? You're not going to um, always hire and, and then and then train someone for a long time. You have to see if they can, you know, solve that need in the short term and then grow and build more skill over time. But the first two are actually where I spend most of my time in interviews. It's the values alignment and the motivation alignment. And I found that those two dimensions can just be um, and have been profoundly impactful in our journey of building Gusto in the way that we operate. And we talk a lot about that as, as the how, right? The what is like things like strategy, market, you know, business model, et cetera. The how is actually the way we collaborate, the way we work, and the what and the how both matter equally. Um, and so, you know, I used to interview every Gusty up till about 60 people. And my interview was very focused on, again, values and, and motivations. Um, we ended up obviously, you know, evolving that to a, a more scalable program. And we have an interview at Gusto called VMA, Values and Motivation Alignment. Um, we do a training with guesties who volunteer to be a part of that interview cohort. And uh, every candidate goes through an interview that, that focuses on those two dimensions. And one thing I'll make clear on the value side, you know, I think for whatever company someone's either thinking of joining or starting, um, to me, there aren't like template values. Values need to be opinionated, they need to be authentic, and they need to be um, consistent. Uh, and if, you know, if you're not aligned with the company's values, if we find a candidate who doesn't map to our values, they're not a bad person at all. It just means they'll be more successful in a different environment. And so for us, values alignment is about understanding really how and what drives someone, the way they work and the way they um, collaborate. And there's just a way we do that at Gusta that we want to maintain. Um, and then motivation, I think, again, hopefully maps to lots of companies. We just find when someone authentically uh, cares about what we're trying to do, they care about things like helping a small business uh, succeed. They care about enabling healthcare to be more accessible. They care about, you know, with Gusto Wallet, helping financial planning to be more accessible to those who today are oftentimes in debt, taking, getting taken advantage of. If those problems matter to them, they'll approach work differently. And those problems don't have to resonate with everyone. That's okay. There's a lot of other problems out there. Um, but if we find that they do resonate, you know, again, that's something we screen for it can actually meaningfully affect the way they show up day to day. So, you know, again, values alignment, motivation alignment, skill alignment, something I think that you know, maps hopefully to how many companies approach team building um, has been really important to us since, you know, the first, first hire we made back in 20, uh, 2012. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Josh. And um, my teammate, Zane Knob had posted in the chat that Enoch Shi, who's been an amazing champion for Breakline with Angusto, mm -hmm. um, asked what brings this person joy at work, um, which is such a great and insightful um, probing question. Mm -hmm. So you as, as um, CEO of Gusto and your team, I think together you all have raised about $500 million um, to support and help build the business. And so the presence of your investors is also a pretty significant element in the company's trajectory and ability to reach these goals. And you have actually said that um, your lens on fundraising is that it's really similar to hiring. 
and you're looking for folks who share your value system and can be articulate about why they care about your problem and how they can help. Can you talk to us a little bit more about your sort of strategy with partnering with different types of investors at different points along the way for Gusto? Yeah. So I really, I do think of fundraising as hiring. Um, average length of time I've known one of our you know, institutional investors, because um, we did raise from some angel investors early on, and I'm really grateful for their involvement. I would have frankly given them money to give us advice. Instead, they gave us money and advice. So it was a win-win. Um, Josh, sorry. The, and, and weren't the angels 20 different tech CEOs? Yeah. Yeah. If it helps, I, we, you know, our early seed round funding was from 20 founders, CEOs, folks that had been company builders, and um, they were invaluable sounding boards to me to understand what worked, didn't work, pitfalls, and then ultimately me and the team deciding what works for Gusto, um, but really grateful again for their involvement. Um, but on the institutional side, um, you know, it's probably about two, three years on average, I get to know someone before we decide to work together and have them potentially invest. And that's because I do think of it as, as hiring. You're having someone join your team, they're going to be, you know, working in a different format. They're not full-time. They're not in the office with you. Well, no one's in the office right now. We're all in different places, but um, they're uh, they're still on the team and they still have aligned incentives. They still want uh, you to succeed. They're still going to be speaking on your behalf. And so, you know, values alignment, motivation alignment, skill alignment is still relevant. Um, and then, uh, you know, on the broader topic of fundraising, I really think there's some pitfalls there too. I think uh, our goal has never been to raise money for the sake of it. You know, we should always be building a sound business that manifests in things like our unit economics, our gross margin, our CAC, just having a solid business model, period. Uh, but there is a dynamic where we've raised money for sure to go really pull forward time and, and try to make some R&D investments that can get us to places earlier. So even the investment we made in 2015 to go launch health benefits, you know, over time, we could have gotten there ultimately through uh, cash flow, but you know it's really prudent for us to raise VC money to go accelerate that, hire a bunch of engineers, and all the corresponding stakeholders involved, um, build some of those features and product functionality, get that to market. And now it's not just a pain point we're solving, but also a meaningful part of our business model. So I think uh, fundraising can always be a useful way to collapse time. You just have to be really intentional about why you're doing it, what are you hoping to accomplish from it, and how do you measure success from it. And I think some companies that use fundraising as a means to make up for a bad business model is where I think it gets a little bit more into kind of gambling and buying lottery ticket space versus, you know, company building. Thank you, Josh. We are sort of um, 15 or so months into COVID and um, you all were really thoughtful during the pandemic, both about how to support your team internally and then also how to support the small businesses that you serve. And um, the Breakline team was a beneficiary of that. We used a bunch of the tools that Gusto makes available to sort of evaluate PPP loans and stuff like that. And um, could you talk to us about some of the lessons learned from, from sort of managing and leading through the pandemic and maybe some of the insights that you and your team took away? Yeah, so it's, I'm incredibly proud of Gusty's over what they've been able to accomplish in the last 15 months. Um, when COVID started, you know, we and everyone didn't know what the future held. It was a time of a lot of uncertainty. But one thing that was very, very clear was that uh, this was our time to, to shine, our time to be there for our customer, our time to help them, period. And our purpose, things that we do, were never more relevant. Like, again, payroll, health benefits in the middle of a financial crisis and health pandemic are, are quite <laughs> at the core of basically helping people. Um, navigate, you know, what we were all kind of collectively going through. So um, I think having that motivation alignment, you know, Gusty's really rose to the occasion. We had a lot of work to do to help small businesses. We did things like uh, waive our fees. If someone needed to defer paying us, they could pause account and stop paying us. Really wanted to meet folks where they were, which at that point in time was just pure crisis mode. Um, and I was really gratified to see, uh, you know, multiple months later, the number of companies that were able to survive, come back, pay us in full, you know, really demonstrated more than anything, the durability of small business and also um, you know, numerically uh, validated the, the durability of our business model. Um, but some lessons on, on navigating it, uh, you know, I'm still in learning mode. Like the truth of it is, it's been one of the most amazing 15 months in the company's history. You know, we grew, our fiscal year is May through April. We grew 50% last May through April. So. At the heart of COVID, we literally 
added 50% more customers to our company. Um, you can imagine the amount of both excitement and work that created for us. Um, and we've been public on that number too, in case anyone uh, was wondering. Um, and at the same time, I know when I look and talk to guesties today, uh, I see that pride in their faces and I see exhaustion just as much. So, you know, yes, we've been doing our best to navigate. Um, it's just been a really intense time as well. And a lot of my time right now is spent more on how do we navigate exhaustion and turn that into um, a more sustainable, stable way for us to work than just feel good because obviously we, we achieve a lot of impact. Um, what are some of your early thoughts around that? Because I think that, that that feeling of exhaustion, so the Breakline team, our company is shutting down um, for the next week, partly for this reason, just to like give folks a chance to breathe. And, and I think it's sort of a universal experience coming out of the, the pandemic. Uh, what are you all finding um, in terms of how to, how to support your team and, and ensure that people have the rest that they need to achieve the goals that you all have? Yeah, so I think many dimensions, some are a little bit Gusto specific, like on one part of it, um, it's clear we, we have hiring to do. So <laughs> that's maybe an understatement, but you know, we'll be we'll be adding probably about 700 people to the team this year. Um, given how much uncertainty existed last year, the truth is we wanted to prevent the pitfall of overhiring and, um, and no one really could predict the future. The outcome was we frankly are understaffed relative to the amount of business volume, customers, signups, and, and need that we see. And so part of it is hiring. Um, part of it is also organizational. We went through pretty much the biggest org restructuring in five years um, in the last few months to really try to simplify where people focus. And we talked about these customer segments now inside the company. Uh, the ones I can share more publicly actually, ah, the last fourth one just got announced today. Um, or yesterday, but we talk about employers, we talk about accountants, we talk about members, those are the people getting paid uh, and the people getting healthcare. And we talk about um, developers, you know, other software partners. And that's uh, something we launched yesterday called Gusto Embedded Payroll. It's an infrastructure offering for other software companies. But we went through a pretty big org redesign to basically try to um, create these kind of swim lanes for folks to have more focus. They weren't pulled in as many directions. And then I think Bethany, you're getting to like at the more individual level, like, yes, there's also things like, how do we navigate people being out of the office? Now we're going through a transition phase to some people being back in the office. How do we think about work expectations? How do we think about PTO time, et cetera? And I, I can't say that there's a one size fits all. You know, I've had colleagues thrive and work from home. I've had colleagues find it incredibly challenging. Um, and so our approach to, to resolution is not a one size fits all. It really is very much at the team and at the individual level. But I think like the main most important thing is companies spending time on this topic versus assuming anything is sustainable and how we worked over the last 15 months. Um, and it just takes time to navigate and deconstruct and find what's the best path uh, for this next chapter. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Josh. Um, even pre-COVID, Gusto was progressive about expanding into other parts of the country to sort of bring opportunity to different, different communities across the country. When lots and lots of tech companies were very Bay Area centric, you all established um, a second, you all call it home base. So you, you, were, you started the company in the Bay Area, and then you established a second home base in Denver. We have a bunch of breakliners in the Denver office, Jasmine Motupali, David Shepard, Eddie Ortiz, Luis Reyes is moving out there shortly. And so it really did make it more affordable for folks and more accessible for really outstanding people to join the company. Um, and you've expanded further. So you now talk about having four home bases in the company. Can you talk a little bit more about, about what those home bases are and the strategy behind establishing those? Yeah, so we, we did start the company in the San Francisco Bay Area. That's where Tomer, Eddie, and I lived when we began Gusto. And um, it was in, I want to say 2014, we started thinking about it. And then 2015, when we opened the Denver office. And the core principle then matters just as much now. Um, I just I just experienced in prior non-Gusto chapters, like the dynamic of when you have a headquarters and it lands as, hey, that's where like, all of the really important decisions get made, or that's where you have to go to like really get opportunity and career growth. And then, you know, I just always either experienced or imagined like, what does it feel then to not be in a headquarters? Am I just not as important? Do I, am I just like, you know, on a different tier? Like, 
how disempowering and demoralizing can that be? And like, and then I'm supposed to, to go do work and contribute. So they're just something that never computed in my head for why we'd want to ever create that expectation. Um, and so that's what drove the home base philosophy, which you know, continues to evolve. But at the core of it, it's a belief that we want at whatever home base someone's at, the ability for them to have role models, have leaders they can look up to, have the ability to grow and develop and gain new skill and not feel like, hey, there's one office where you really get the big opportunities and the other ones are kind of just you know playing second fiddle. So um, that's the objective. That's the guiding principle. Um, we've opened a New York home base a couple of years ago now, right before COVID. And then the fourth home base, uh, we actually think of now as remote. And we like that language because it makes it clear, again, uh, one's not more or less important. We have four home bases, three are physical location, one is remote. And for each of them, how do we make each successful? And how do we map leaders to each of them? How do we check in on you know, the, the different teams and roles that exist in each of them? They're not um, completely apples to apples. We're not trying to clone SF in Denver. We're not trying to have all the same roles and all the same home bases. That doesn't make any sense. But it's, it's again, more on the opportunity side. We want people to feel like in whatever home base you're in, you have the chance to grow, develop, and have an impact. Um, and also have leaders, again, that you can look up, look up to and, and, uh, and admire. Um, and then there's a lot of other manifestations of it in terms of like travel, where I used to spend time before COVID. You know, I was in Denver every month doing all hands. Um, you know, those things will all evolve now with remote and then more home bases to come. But I hope the, the intentionality of, hey, regardless of what home base you're in, you feel like you can be a guestie, grow, develop, and also make that location your own persist no matter how many home bases we have. Um, Josh, a brakeliner at Gusto Neckpen Wilson is here and she just put in the chat um, that being a Gusto has been the best role of her career and she's one of your remote employees. So she and her husband, Eric, relocated to Texas. And, um, and so it's great to see that people who, um, who are in that remote home base are really thriving at the company. Um, last question for me for now is um, Gusto just completed its first acquisition company called mm -hmm. Adrius. And I'd love for you to talk to us about why you all acquired that company and how it um, fits in with your long-term strategy. Uh, definitely. And first, I'll just give a shout out. I know Gusties are on the uh, call. So hello, Gusties. And hello, uh, non-Gusties too. Um, so yeah, we bought a company called Ardius. And it. Um, I guess the, the philosophy here again is more in the world of, of you know, turning what we view as the future into reality. So if I take a step back, I really think at the core, the difference between a tech business and a non-tech business is in tech, you get a lot of leverage through using technology. Um, and in a non-tech business, you don't have as much leverage, but you know, that's fine too. A lot of small businesses want to stay small, right? Not every business needs to grow bigger. But if the leverage is the biggest difference, um, the rest of it to me is pretty much the same. It's you, you exist to fix something. You exist to make something in the world around you better or different and hopefully it's it's broken now and you want to make it non-broken i i would not associate with any companies that aspire to do the opposite um and so we have a pretty clear point of view on really what the future looks like and uh, that's our due north and what we debate in planning and strategy is more the sequencing how do we get there and are we getting good feedback loops from our customer on what that future is and it's what they want to right you know we have a picture point of view on like what payroll and how that works, how healthcare is done, how financial savings are done. And you know, we're progressing on all those dimensions. And historically, it's mostly been through building. So you know, here are things like build, partner, buy. We've mostly been doing a lot of building and we're gonna continue to do a lot of building. That's us hiring folks to the team. We go build various products, functionality that includes not just software teams, but operations teams, CX teams as well. We've done a lot of partnership. That's us working with other companies where we don't want to build it ourselves, don't need to. Maybe they've done a good job, but now it's us collaborating. And we just haven't done much buying. And for us, it's just a, a muscle we want to build. It's to me logical. It can be really helpful. It can accelerate our route to, to serving and solving a pain point for the customer. Um, but we have to approach it with just as much intentionality. You know, it's still hiring. So in this case, we brought you know 20 folks on board and have all in one fell swoop. Um, they're focused on R&D tax credits. It's a, an amazing set of features and functionality. These are basically government programs that can give uh, the equivalent of, of free money to a company if they map to certain criteria. Historically, big companies have the money to hire, you know, accounting firms to go do this analysis. Small businesses are left out, out of the out of the out, out of being able to participate. And like a lot of the data ties to payroll, so we're going to make it really super simple and easy. 
to go turn that tax credit into real concrete value to you as an employer. Um, plays to our strengths, you know, in terms of, again, making government stuff simple, easy, straightforward, and more accessible. Um, and the team is amazing. Uh, thrilled to have them join. They joined us a couple weeks ago. Um, that's amazing. And uh, it's also, you know, when you bring in an entirely new team, it's, I'm sure that culture is top of mind because you all have also created such a compelling culture together at Gusto. And um, Amanda has a question um, about this. She, um, she said, how, are, how have you learned to grow and maintain Gusto's culture? And what are you looking for when you bring new people in? You've already talked about values and motivation alignment. Is there anything else that's sort of in the back of your mind when you're assessing whether this would be a great match between a potential candidate and the company? The quick answer is no. I mean, values alignment, and I, we haven't spent too much time on Gusto's values because I want to make these learnings at least hopefully accessible to folks joining lots of companies. But, you know, our values are very specific. It's things like humility coupled with a lot of ambition, you know, dream big and then make that dream and vision real. Um, you know, it, it impacts the way we collaborate, the way we work, service mindset, for example, celebrating the success of our customer. And so um, that's what guides us on, on alignment more than anything. We've talked about motivation and then skill. And then on every other dimension, we want as much um, diversity of perspective, background experience as possible, because that's what our, our customers are um, for, for one reason, uh, or as one reason. Um, and I, that's why I avoid the word, by the way, culture. I feel like culture has too many definitions. I literally just grounded in like values, traditions. You know, you've heard actually a couple or one of our traditions, you've heard a bit about our values. Like that is what I think of as kind of uh, parts of how we work. Um, and, and yeah, culture or, or words like family to me, I think have a lot more, they're, they're powerful words. They have so much meaning, but they also, I think can be abused or misapplied so often. So I try to go like one click deeper. Um, for us, it's, it's values and traditions that are, um, what you'll see if you are at Gusto and what manifests most in hiring is, is purely the value specific. Mm-hmm. One of the early breakliners who joined um, Gusto, Jasmine Motipali, uh, my colleague Zane was saying, she always talks about how she really felt the authenticity with Gusto, that it was about culture ad rather than culture fit um, and feeling like somebody had to be within a particular box to, um, to be a great addition to the company. Um, Actually, yeah, one thing either uh, Bethany, yeah. I think, yeah, the core of your question was how do we scale it and keep it? So I didn't yeah. address that. Um, Jasmine's comment is right on point. Like it is not about me interviewing every person at Gusto anymore to maintain it. Like if we hire people that have that values alignment and then they join and get excited because they see people around them that share those values, I found at least up to the 1400 people we're at today, they then want to um, and fight for and take action to maintain that as they are involved in hiring the next hundred or 500 or thousand people. And so it, it can propagate, it definitely can continue um, you know, I don't need to go audit or review every scorecard. I have the utmost trust because I, I talk to people in onboarding and I know that they're joining for that alignment. And then when they're on a hiring panel, they're going to you know, make sure that it manifests just as much. Hey, um, Josh, that value of humility, it's so clear that that's authentic to you. You talked about like fixing your parents, you know, TV and stuff. Um, and uh, and other, other lines that I've heard you say along these lines are something like um, heroes don't scale, you know, and just the idea that, um, that like the big brash sort of personality is the only way to win in Silicon Valley. Why is humility so important to you? Well, I think for us, you know, uh, it starts with like serving the customer, I guess, first and foremost. One thing I'll, I'll note though, we have lots of different personalities at Gusto. That's not one of our filters, right? So like, can I get a sense of like my personality, what drives me, you know, part of what excites me in our journey is trying to really make clear because there's, I think some overly simplistic generalizations and takeaways on Silicon Valley today that I disagree with pretty strongly. People can be, you know, humble and incredibly ambitious. You can be really competitive and you can be kind. These are not mutually oppositional concepts. Um, and so I, uh, and I think everyone joining Gusto kind of lives and breathes that mentality, but we have, you know, really strong extroverts in the company. There's members of our leadership team that are very outspoken and, and love to, again, um, really span the gamut of like 
you know, uh, approaches to, to how we engage and converse as long as the values alignment is there. And, and the humility just brings us together on like purpose. Like you will not find uh, people at Gusto who do things for their benefit at the cost of the company or view the world as a zero sum game where they win when someone loses. Even how we talk about competition, like, you know, I, we compete with paychecks. They've come up a few times. I don't actually find any joy in, you know, talking bad ill or wishing anything uh, bad upon paychecks. There are probably people that are working hard to go build a business that can add value. I hope. I don't know many people there, but I definitely don't wish a will on them. What we focus on is what's in our control, which is the product we build, the customers we serve, the strategy we've set, and the you know, execution we have to go live up to and do. Um, so I hope I'm answering part of your question there. I think heroism doesn't scale. That's a bit of a, like a, you know, having grown up here, a thing I noticed where um, like the, hey, you stayed up all night thing can be celebrated. And maybe in the short term that works, but um, I guess the full comment is heroism. Heroes don't scale, um, or heroism doesn't scale, heroes become martyrs. Like uh, if we're here to build a multi-decade business, like how do we do that thing again five times more? And if someone's so exhausted or in this case sleep deprived that they, they can't help anymore, you know, that actually isn't gonna help us. Um, so how do we build like repeatable systems and structures and processes? How do we take learnings and expand them? How do we you know, continuously try to go think about, great, we solved that puzzle. Like how do we solve the next puzzle or how do we solve this puzzle five times faster? Um, and that to me is, is really where we spend most of our time in, in, in scaling, frankly. Thank you, Josh. Maya has a question. She says she watched an interview that you did a couple of years ago, and you mentioned three phases of building Gusto. The first was building the core payroll system. The second was building health benefits. And she said you articulated a third phase about focusing on personal prosperity for employees. And she said she thinks that's so awesome. She's wondering with Gusto wallet and cash out, you seem to be in phase three. How do you see this phase evolving? Yeah, and actually we've had a few more phases and to be, um, I guess to share a little bit of how we think about it, like these are not like sequential phases, it's more like layers. So we're still investing a ton in things like payroll and there's lots of opportunity to make that better. We're investing a ton in health benefits, um, but it's really when do we feel like the organization has the ability and we have the, the people and the skill to go add in some of these additional kind of layers and then we can start those as small efforts and they grow and frankly we have decades more you know roadmap and layers to add given the opportunity ahead uh, but specifically to gusto wallet um, folks that aren't as aware it's really a suite of financial products for the individual getting paid through gusto uh, they're free and uh, really it's meant to solve some really acute pain points that we feel like we can uniquely solve that help the individual um, be in a better financial position and the benefit to them is, is, you know, literally being in a better financial position. I'll talk about that in a sec. But the benefit to the employer is then having a member of their team who has a more stable, you know, financial life, um, can be uh, more present, more available to kind of contribute to the company, et cetera. But um, some of the things in that, uh, that suite include a feature called cash out. So if someone has an emergency and they're on a two-week pay schedule, um, you want to access, you know, a few hundred dollars of your money you've already earned. Let's say you're five days into that pay period. You can do that for free through Gusto. And that avoids someone having to go use payday loans or overdraft fees or credit card debt, um, which we think, again, uh, can be very you know, predatory. That moment should not be monetized. Someone's having an emergency. They've already made money. They just haven't received it yet. That should be a free feature set. We think every payroll company should do that in the future. Um, but it also includes savings. If you actually have money set aside and can start saving directly from your paycheck, set aside five bucks, 10 bucks, you name it. Then when you have an emergency, you don't even need cash out. You actually can just use the savings you've, you've set aside. So you can get a debit card through Gusto. You can have a bank account. Our goal there is to really build the best banking platform period for these consumers um, directly attached to your paycheck. Um, so a really big, bold, ambitious part of our business is about 50 people. You know, it's us taking on all of the banks out there. Basically, we work with banks on the back end, but from a, a customer experience standpoint, we want to we really want to be their their mobile app. We want to be their their core banking experience. So lots of work ahead there as well. Mm -hmm. um, Josh, when you were describing that the chat is going off because um, several breakline communities are affected by payday loans, you see that a lot with our military community and others. So um, it's people are think are responding and saying that this is so cool. Um, did you have something else? 
Fascinating. If you want to like, go on a soapbox for a sec, it's just crazy to me, right? You work two weeks um, or you, you're on a two week pay period. You work a week and, and you know, uh, it's just a, it's a reminder again of you can look at things that have been a certain way and be like, that's the way it is. And you just apply a different perspective. Like why should, you know, when someone gets terminated, that's a, a sad topic, but happens in companies, they get paid that day legally in many states. So basically people get paid earlier if they're fired versus if they're the person still working. There's just a lot of things that, you know, just, you know, this will be one of them, I hope, where you look back, hopefully not in many decades, but a few years and go, why did that entire industry ever exist? Like it should it should not have existed in the first place. It's an idiosyncrasy of these two-week pay schedules. And I'm glad and I hope it entirely kind of goes away, frankly, as we expand what we're doing here and others hopefully mimic and copy us. I hope every payroll company again offers that feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zane has a question, Zane Stickle. And he says, um, and I actually I love this question because you speak about this topic. He says, how do you assess authenticity or earnestness in the values and motivation component of your hiring process? And you've talked about the importance of the question, why? Yeah, and my advice for folks in general is um, learning how to interview. And many of you maybe have done that before. Maybe some of you are newer to it. Um, I found is actually not something that can be learned in a book. It's through experience because like learning what drives someone, learning what their motivations are, understanding their values alignment. I don't have a formula. There's definitely no, like you said, these right words at all. It's really just understanding them better. And the best means I have of enabling a conversation that gets to that is um, asking why, you know, and, and it's not the first why, right? If someone's coming in, especially if they have the mindset of I'm supposed to package and polish myself for an interview versus just be myself and share my thoughts, you know, the first answer might be more of that packaged polish answer. And then I ask why. And then the second answer might be a little bit like kind of just more like riffing and sharing. And then the third answer, is usually the one where I'm getting into like, you know, just a conversation, a conversation about like someone's journey, about you know, a specific work chapter. Maybe they launched a product feature, like why was it done? And, and what excited you about that? And like, who was involved? And like, how did you split up responsibilities? And like, you know, what moments did you celebrate? And like, which parts were really frustrating? You know, just, I guess, applying why and curiosity can get people to ultimately just share it. And then the outcome of the interview for us is yes, we look at then, you know, in their sharing, did like humility come up um, or get demonstrated? Did service mindset get demonstrated? But we don't ask people like, are you humble? <laughs> or do you have service mindset? You know, those are more just backdrops to the things that we're thinking about. And I hope we get to a place where people are not faking either way because if they, they happen to, you know, figure out a way to trick us in the interview and then, you know, join, they're just not gonna be as successful or happy at Gusto because that's just how we operate. And again, we're trying to just find that authentic alignment versus like any type of packaged or polished kind of representation. All right, Josh, we have a question from the newest breakliner to join Gusto, Marilyn Vaughn, who just accepted her offer to join the customer success team. Um, and she says, how does Gusto evaluate new opportunities for its products or new frontiers to explore? How do you decide what to build next? Yeah, great question, Marilyn, and welcome to the team. Um, so it's a, it's a continual process where it manifests most is, and we've had to create, and I think it's good to create some structure around it. At, at the biggest kind of broadest like level where I spend time, we do annual planning, but even more than that, we do these three year plans. So we actually just went through that process and put a bunch of stakes in the ground over what the next three to four years look like. Um, and then the biggest is like vision, right? Like where do we think, like how should healthcare be done? We have strong opinions about that, but how do you break down that objective into the sequences and the stages and the speed at which we can get there, where some things will be right on, some things will be wrong on? That's where we get into the three-year strat planning, to one year, to then mid-year, and it's a feedback loop. So we have to put stakes in the ground. When you have as much opportunity as we do, and opportunity means pain points we know we can help with, um, focus is actually the most important thing. Our biggest pitfall would be trying to do too much at once. And so we use all those processes I just mentioned more than anything to kind of gut check and say, well, really, really what, you know, are we going to do and not do? And then how do we know if that's the right thing and what metric are we going to look at and how do we measure are we on track or not? Um, so that, that's a, like a really high level frameworky structure answer. Um, uh, but I do think uh, companies 
you need to figure out where they're at in that spectrum. Are they doing too much? Are they doing too little? And we've had a history over nine years of at times doing too much, or in my opinion, also going too slow and doing too little. And I think that's the like healthy discussion to have in like quarterly board meetings, et cetera, um, uh, on this topic around prioritization. Mm -hmm. Okay, question from Crystal, which is a related question. She says, um, what is Gusto's approach to soliciting, analyzing and incorporating feedback from small business owners to help Gusto solve their pain points? How do you, like, how are you hearing from your customers about what they need? Yeah, the, the quick answer is in whatever way possible. So, you know, that can be directly from when someone's talking to us on a phone call or an email, and we have ways to summarize and synthesize the, the many interactions we have. We have a report we call Voice of the Customer. We call our, our employers customers. Um, uh, but then there's also at the individual level, it could be someone shadowing a call uh, and just listening in. It could also be in a UXR type research where we're actually having a customer sit down and go through a specific flow and really understanding and almost interviewing them to understand like uh, what's good and bad about the experience. Sometimes it's in research mode where actually it's something we're thinking of building and we wanna just understand would this make a difference in their life? And it could be mock-ups or just like um, visuals of what might be coming. Uh, we do you know, surveys um, and enable folks to kind of answer quick responses. Sometimes that's customers or sometimes that's that's leads or that's folks that have never heard about us. So I think in general, like if you're attached to more of the product development side of a business, these are all great inputs. There's no limit to how many inputs I think are worth having. I think equally so, you know, whatever the inputs are, you have to have judgment on which pieces to then act upon. Right. So if you ask a customer what they want and you build whatever they ask, you build better, faster, cheaper versions of the present. And the classic you know, metaphor here is like, or rather analogy is you ask someone 100 plus years ago what they wanted, they wanted faster horses. Um, well, in reality, they wanted to move faster. And so actually, you know, should have invented cars versus you know, trying to make horses go faster. So there's a big like underlying important um, consideration here, which is not just spoken need, but unspoken need which I know our product team spent a lot of time thinking about. And then you're still gonna make you know, bets. You're gonna make a judgment call on like basically how to go tackle an unspoken need. And then in the usage of the product feature, you wanna make sure you're measuring, is it actually accomplishing its goal? And if something's not accomplishing the goal, not, not fixing the problem for the customer, not standing out, not you know, really providing value, well then it's a good thing to probably remove from the product, right? Not everything you add to your product needs to stay. It's not actually providing value you know, editing or cutting can be just as valuable as adding or, or building in the first place. Mm -hmm. All right, last question from us, Josh, and this one is from Michael Morotra. And he says, with all that Gusto has done so far and given the ambitions for the next term, how do you and your team measure success? I mean, I measure, again, I'll use the word progress, but I know, I know what you mean with success. I feel like we're still very early and have lots to go do and um, I frankly think there's, there's more of a pitfall of uh, we've made it mindset and the danger of that than, hey, we have so much more to go help our customers with. So that's why you'll always hear me react that way to when I hear the word success. Um, uh, but it, it's measured for me, like the two things that give me joy individually and then I can talk more at the company level is just purely in the value we provide customers. So like what they tell us, right? Like, are we doing more for them? Are they grateful? Are they staying on our product? We have metric we call NPS, net promoter score. That's basically kind of a way to determine would this customer recommend or advise us to someone else? Um, like would they, would they tell another small business to use Gusto? And that's a great signal. So a big part of our, our whole business model depends on having really high NPS, um, but also on the Gusty side. You know, I want Gusties to, you know, I don't expect anyone to be in the company forever. Um, but for the chapter they're here, for them to be able to describe a chapter where they felt like they could be their authentic self, where they felt like they could grow, learn, have impact, where they felt like they could help move the needle in the company, but also grow towards their professional goals. Um, you know, those are probably the two areas I would spotlight. And I actually do think if you solve lots of pain points and problems for the customer and do it in a way you're proud of and have a sound business model, you know, create tremendous economic value. That's a byproduct. I think that's something also I'll acknowledge and celebrate. You know, we give equity to Gusties, so everyone benefits from that. But that's a byproduct. I don't dream about Gusto being a 
hundred billion dollar company, you know, I dream about Gusto helping millions of small businesses and having high NPS while we do it, um, and helping individuals uh, with the pain points in their life. And I know that you know the other parts follow. And I think that's also something that people can get sometimes distracted in. Like our goal is not to hire for the sake of it or have a high market cap for the sake of it. It's to go fix pain points. And again, with a good business model, the other pieces um, follow from that. I mean, what a treat to spend the last hour with you, Josh, honestly. And you're so modest, but I hope you hear me that getting to hear your clarity of vision, your servant leadership, your kindness, it was just such a pleasure to, um, to spend the last hour with you. So much fun. So thank you so much, Josh, for joining us. Well, thank you to all of you also. And I, I think just such a big fan of the program, the organization. So I think all of you joining businesses, whether again, it's tech or other chapters in your career. Um, just, uh, yeah, I hope that you feel like you can be your authentic self. I hope you, you know, feel like you can grow, develop. And if I can be helpful to you in any way, let me know. But thank you for taking the time to, to invite me here. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode in the Breakline Arena. We hope that you're walking away feeling a little inspired, a little bit moved, and feeling as if you learned something. I tell you what, if you enjoy what you heard today, we only need you to do one of three things. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe, and if it really touched your spirit, go on review and rate this episode. It would mean a lot to us. It helps us get the word out there. Um, it helps us continue to share this great content. Uh, and most importantly, we just love to hear what you what you have to say about uh, some of the content that we're putting out there. So um, please join us again next Tuesday here in the Breakline Arena. Once again, my name is Kenny Vaughn, and I am signing out from the Breakline HQ with my partner in crime. Sophia Bodwin, we will see you guys next week.